makes resolutions. Some do. Some don't. I learned not to. Because I broke most of them that I ever made. Sooner or later. I've learned that the best thing I can have before God is a willing mind that I'll do whatever he teaches me to do. Whatever that is. And not to depend on making promises to myself or to God for something I will do or won't do. I looked up that word and it was right next to resolve. Now what is resolve? And I loved the simplicity of the definition of the word resolve. The definition is fixity of purpose. I never even heard the word fixity. F-I-X-I-T-Y. Fixity of purpose. Fixity means it's screwed down with a big old boat and got a lock washer on it. It ain't coming up. So that actually means to have a purpose to do something and that purpose is so fixed, it's so solid that it can't be broken. So then we don't understand them much. I mean, everybody says, well, you know, I made a resolution, but I broke it. No, if it's a real resolution, you won't break it. <laughs> and that's what it means. But we see something in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. You won't do, you go there. Let me tell you something about Ecclesiastes, though. Don't be confused about the book of Ecclesiastes, one of our three wisdom books that Solomon wrote. He wrote Proverbs to tell us how to live right on this earth based on what the earth said is right, according to Jesus. But Ecclesiastes is a little different book. It's a book that tells you how to live without God and what happens when you try. It says in Ecclesiastes, when you die, you go in the ground just like a dead dog. But you don't do that. That's what you learn down here. What's the difference? To someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, who doesn't understand the word and who does not have the Holy Spirit inside of them, they both go in the ground and they both got dirt thrown over. But that's not what God wants to teach us. But there's a lot of lessons to be learned in the book of Ecclesiastes. Some of them you just see how fools work, just like Proverbs. But Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 
in verse 5, Better is it that thou shouldest not vow or make a promise unto God. If you do, you defer not to pay it. When thou vowest a vow unto God, verse four, chapter, verse 4 in chapter 5, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. If you promise to do something, you do it. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. If you're not going to do it, don't promise to do it because there's a penalty for it. The next verse, chapter, verse 6. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Don't let your mouth get you in trouble with your body. Neither say thou before the angel. When the angel charges you and say, hey, didn't you promise God you were going to do this? Neither say thou before the angel that it was an, an error. I made a mistake. I really didn't mean that. Now, don't say that. That's a lie. See, you're taking something you shouldn't do about and then make it a lie too. So you double your sin. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice? When you promise God something or promise before, make a promise before God and then don't care about it, he gets angry at you and destroy the work of thine hands. Now, there's something people don't understand. I don't know what the connection is. There are at least four places I know in the scriptures where it says when God gets angry at you, he destroys the work of your hands. Now, most men, folks, feel the responsibility of making a living for their family. That ought to be incentive for them at least not to make a promise that you don't plan to keep. Because if you do, God will cause some kind of problem to come to you who work with your hands. So don't make a vow. Don't promise God you're going to do this if he'll do that, because that doesn't work anyhow. It says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, you don't have to turn there, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. That's the mind we're supposed to have, the mind of Jesus. Most resolutions are made to make us do better. Some for not doing sin. I'm not going to do that anymore, Lord. And then you find out that you do. So the question comes up. What's going to put us in a strain? Why would we promise something like that? A lot of folks do. A lot of folks do and make vows 
and promises at a time of trouble. Lord, if you just let me get out of this, I'll never get myself in this place again. Don't do that. Solomon says you get in trouble. It says in John 16, 33, In this world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. So be of good cheer. Wait a minute. Would that mean when I'm in tribulation too? I think so. Because how better would you get attention from an unbeliever than to be laughing when you're in a jam? <laughs> Unbelievers don't do that. They get mad, they get scared, they get anxious, they get upset. They say things they ought not to say. I have overcome the world. That means Jesus has overcome tribulation. Does that mean you're going to not have it? No. It means that with Jesus, you can get around it. You can get over it. You can get above it. You can smile when you're right in the middle of the biggest mess you've ever seen in your life. You can do that. And not give a bad testimony by losing your temper. Now, tribulation brings character to some folks. You know this. Jesus learned to be submissive to God by the troubles that he suffered, God said. You remember the old hard times makes good folks. And we've seen that. We know that to a certain extent it does. But only if you react right you got to react properly to hard times before it gives you credits and you learn to forbear and to have patience and to wait on it because it's not going to be forever. To some, the world brings tribulation because God said it would. To some, people bring tribulation. Some of the worst problems we have with other people. To some, circumstances bring tribulation. And to some, God brings tribulation. Some folks say he doesn't. I had a long discussion with a member here several weeks ago that's saying that God did not cause his problems. And I said, well, I don't know whether he did or not, but I know this, he does. And you can't say he doesn't because the whole Old Testament is full of all kind of problems that God caused. David made a mistake, counted the soldiers, young men that could be soldiers in, his, in Israel when God had told him not to. God killed 83,000 people. 83,000 because David made a mistake. It started out when he killed all the world but eight. Now think about that for a minute now. It says that Jesus created everybody, and God came along then and did away with all but eight that Jesus had created. Eight. 
Folks, that's a lot of dead folks. And that is the God. What does Hebrews say? It's an awful thing to fall in the hands of a terrible God. When you get crossways with God, you're in a mess. So what does God bring sometimes and why? That's the hard thing is why. When we get in a jam and we find out why we're in that jam and we make the necessary corrections to get out of that jam, that's what the whole thing is about to start with. Necessary corrections. I want to explain to you some of this stuff about God's system of discipline in me and you. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 15, it says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. You got children. They goof up. And God said, you put a rod on the seat of knowledge. And it'll drive that foolishness away from that child. In Proverbs 10, 13, it also says that a rod is for the back of fools of those who lack the understanding of right and wrong. So, you never outgrow the rod. Because it's for the back of fools. Grown-ups, as well as children. I don't know how inspired my mama was the last spanking I got. I was 17 years old. I'd been closing down Daddy's Cafe when he was sick ever since I was 13. She came down because Daddy was out of whack and got to picking at me about was I done this and I done that. And I turned around and I said, Mama, I know how to close the cafe. If you want to do it, I'll go to the house. But if you want me to do it, why don't you go to the house? Now that's one of the worst things to sass I ever did, my mom. I was 17 years old, like I said. She got her purse and went to the house. When I got in the front door after carrying the waitresses home, had a 38 pistol in one hand and a box of money in the other hand. I never got off that little rock a rug inside the front door. She said, are you ready? I said, I guess so. She didn't even let me put the pistol down. She said, turn around. And I did. And it was only about a year ago that I figured out where she got that slap that she used on me. It had to be a bed slap out of a single bed because that's the only one by four, about four feet long dress that we had on the premises that I knew of. She must have pulled a slat out of the bed. And I turned around and she laid it on me with both hands until she gave out. And I'm trying to get my billfold in the center of the target, trying to get my handkerchief on the other side in the center of the target, and that woman is laying me with both hands. And it hurt. And I don't know whether I was a fool or a child, but I had messed up whatever it was. 
and I was near grown. And I remember in the discussion with my daddy that if I was 55 and he was 85 and I needed the spanking, I'd stand there and take it. And I agreed to that. But that's the way things were at my house. It's not that way at everybody's house. But what I'm saying is God's got a way of disciplining us too. Not only does he use mamas and sometimes daddies, but he uses all those that we saw up there, other people, circumstances, and everything else. But the word punishment in the Bible, every place I've been able to find it. Now think about this now. Punishment is for what you did, right? The only thing I can find in the Bible, the word is used about 40 times, has to do with end times and the punishment you receive for the sin that you did in your life. It has to do with hell. There is no word that I know of for punishment that has anything to do with God's discipline program for children or grown-ups either. You remember, some of you older ones probably remember several years ago, somebody spray-painted a car in the Philippines, and it was all over the papers, all over. I mean, the whole world was talking about it because his punishment was that they took him out and caned him. They took a cane stick and beat him with it. The whole world turned upside down when they heard that his punishment was that he got beat with a cane, a rod. And they were doing exactly what God had told them to do. It was a Muslim country. Those Muslim countries still live by Deuteronomy. And it got everybody upset because they did exactly the thing that God says to do with a grown-up. Final judgments, that has to do with punishment. But God's discipline is designed for whatever happened not to reoccur. You're not looking back. What did Paul say? I've learned not to look back, but I look forward to the high calling of Christ Jesus. A mama punishing or a daddy punishing a child and looking back at the, the problem is not godly. You can't get mad at what happened and punish a child while you're mad because actually God's system and at the core of it is to keep it from happening again. That's the whole thing behind what he has to do with discipline. What will it take to make sure that this person doesn't do this again. Police tell me that 90% of the crime is done by 10% of the person. What do they call it? Recidivism or something like that? They turn them loose, they go back out and do the same thing again. God's program doesn't work that way. You don't get back out and go do it again. Or he don't intend for you to. In Hebrews chapter 12, 
we can turn there if you will because there are several verses that I would like to read for you. It has to do with God's way of disciplining us. Chapter 12 of Hebrews. We'll start with verse 1. I'm just going to read some of the verses there in chapter 12. Verse 1 of chapter 12 of Hebrews says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. You're going to see that as we read this, the reason that God does what God does is because so many people are looking. He's trying to make an impression on other people by the way his people live. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about, we're surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses. I've been told that this is martyrs, people who have died for the cause of Christ. I'm sure they're in the group. It's also angels because it says in my book that they sit in bleachers like you do at the Coliseum and look down like you're at a football game watching. They watch what we're doing every day because they don't really understand everything we do, especially about salvation. An angel can't be saved. And he watches trying to figure out what is happening to us in our hearts when our heart is changed when we turn to Jesus Christ. Could be them. Could be all the people around here on the earth that are watching how a Christian acts whenever he gets in a jam or whenever he's got a problem to solve. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Jesus has set a race before each one of us at salvation that we run. And we need to run it with patience. And we need to get our mind off of that one sin that seems to be popping up every time we turn around. You know, you got one. About everybody I know got one. They do something. They could stand up and confess, well, my one sin that bothers me worse than anything else, and then they'd fill in the blank. And he says, whatever that is, set it aside. Don't let it get in the way of your living for Christ. Verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortations which speaketh unto you as unto children. We've got the third chapter of Ephesians. We've got the third chapter of Colossians that speak to us about discipline of a child. And he says you forget that you were referred to as children too in John and Jude. John calls us all little children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now what it's saying here is, when you sense that the trouble that you are in has been caused by God because he is unhappy about something that you've done, don't go off and have a big pity party in the molly grubs. And we'll see how it says that. Don't faint when you sense that God is getting on to you about something. 
For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now I think it's a real neat thing. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. That word chasteneth is one lick. One lick with a stick. And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. The word scourge is many licks. It's frogging. It's being frogged. What the Jews had 30, 39 stripes, 40 stripes, then they wouldn't give you but 39 because they're afraid they'd miscount, and then the Lord would turn on them and punish them. So here he's talking about whether you need one lick or whether you need scourging, whatever it is, God does that. He's going to do whatever's enough to keep this event from reoccurring. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as a son. For what person, son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? What he's saying here is God chastens everybody that belongs to him. He doesn't have a young and he doesn't get a he doesn't get a spanking. But if you be without chastisement, whereas all are partakers, then your ambassadors are not a son. You're not really his son if he's not chastening you. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, he's talking about your daddy, your earthly daddy, which corrected you, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they, your father, your earthly father, verily for a few days, because we got a short life, chasing us after their own pleasure. My dad spanked me the way he thought was the best to do to, to handle my problem. But God, for our profit, for he spanks us for our profit. That will happen in the future, not to do it again. That's the way God works. That we might be partakers of his holiness. God in this thing has just been described. That when we become children of God, after we are his child, and we publicly confess that we are, he starts a period of chastisement that makes us wind up to be as holy as Jesus. And he's going to do to us whatever it takes for us not to make that same mistake again we just made. And he's making points. One old fellow told me one time he had learned, he was in his 80s then, I was in my 30s, he said that the worst thing he'd discovered in his life was being chastised by God and not learning the lesson. Have to be chastised over and over and over for the same thing. So your prayer should be, Lord, show me how I can get out of this mess. I don't want to be in here again. Teach me. That you might be partakers of his holiness. 
You know what a person who is a partaker of God's holiness is? It's a person who has control over his sin. We go back to 1 John back there in verse five, chapter 5, I think, where it says, and I speak to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. So it's possible for us to overcome Satan. We can live on this earth in this life like Jesus did without un- being under the control of the devil. We do it the same way Jesus did. We resist him and he goes and leaves us alone. Jesus threw scripture at him. Now, no chastening for the moment. Seemeth to be joyous. Uh-uh. When you get the spanking from God or your daddy or your mama, it's not a happy time. You're not going to be joy, full of joy while you're getting it. But grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised by it. When you are properly chastened, whether by whatever authority God has placed in front of you or God himself, you will learn not to do it again. That's his whole goal. It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. When you spank right, when you discipline right, then people get better because of it. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down. Now this is what is is kind of funny to me. It's giving you the picture of a little kid that's just been spanked right. And they're standing there with their hands hanging down. And the feeble knees, the knees are shaking. It's all they can do to stand up. Daddy used to call it the snubs. You're going to quit those snubs, boy. I'll, I'll come there and give it to you again. You know, when you're sitting there and, and you just got, <laughs> you, you know, he called that the snubs. He didn't put up with it either. And that's, you know, there's, a, there's that picture. Well, what's wrong with so-and-so? Well, you know, he just he just been down the last several days. I think we call it depression. And you know, he's a Christian. You wouldn't think he'd be like that. Look at all he's got to live forward to, and he's just down. He had, you can't get a good word out of him. That's what he's talking about. Get rid of that. Straighten up and make straight paths for your feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. Now look at here. Why is it you can't have a pity party? Why is it you can't complain to everybody around you? Why is it you can't get a depressed way and bring everybody down around? Because people are watching. People you don't even know that are watching are watching you as a Christian. And that which is lame may be turned out of the way. That passage is dislocated. He's making the analogy. If you're limping, 
because you've got a problem with your foot. Quit limping and making such a big deal about it because you're liable to wind up to have the bone dislocated and that hurts like nothing you wouldn't believe. But let it rather be healed. Come on out of that. You've taken your punishment. Let's go. It's an interesting thing just to show you how smart people are. God from Genesis to Revelation, everything he does in the way of chastisement is to restore fellowship immediately. Somebody says, oh, you can't spank a child and then hug them and love them. Oh, yes, you can. You better. Well, that wipes out what you did with saying, oh, no, it doesn't. When you deprive them, which you think is a lot better than giving them a spanking, you come in Tuesday, your child comes in from school Tuesday afternoon, and you in a good mood, been in a good mood all day, your child is in a good mood, been in a good mood all day, and he gets him a sandwich, and he sits down in front of the TV, and you have to put on your bad face and say, now wait a minute, young man, you know your punishment was that you couldn't watch TV for a week. See how ungodly that whole process is? You spank them, you tear them up, you grab them up and you hug them and you tell them and show them how to ask God to forgive them and ask you for forgiveness because they sin for you too. And everything is forgotten. God forgets your sin immediately after you ask forgiveness. And everything is forgotten. Y'all will understand that. <laughs> Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Do right. That's what he's saying. Do right. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest you don't handle God's chastity on you properly chastening on you, excuse me. And you fail of the grace of God. He's dealing with you for your best, for your profit. And you don't respond properly. You hurt people around you. Lest any root of bitterness spring up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Have you seen a Christian get in a jam, get in an unpleasant situation, and they react so bad that it messes up everybody around them? You ever seen it? Happens all the time. That's what he's talking about. And James Bond didn't have anything on Jesus. You need to understand that. You know how cool he was. Anything could happen. And he was cool. But Jesus was cooler. I'm telling you this. And many be defiled by watching us. And we wind up being defiled too. Because the root of bitterness defiles us too. Trouble you and others too. 
God is trying to deal with us in such a way that when we sin, He does whatever it takes for us not to get back in that same sin. For that same sin not to reoccur. I have been on my knees and asked my God, Lord, I realize I did it wrong. I'm seeing now the relationship between what I'm going through now because of what I did. Well, why is it you've got to be so hard? And I've heard him say, because you're so hard-headed. That's the whole point of all of this that we just talked about. He's going to see to it that you don't do it again, whatever it takes. And if you're set, they call it in a set jaw in the Bible, if your jaw is set and you're going to do it, it don't matter what you're going to, he's going to see that he stops that. <laughs> and I've been there. And I've done it. I wouldn't be where I am today if God hadn't dealt with me that way. And I put a daddy and a mama in front of me that didn't mind snatching up a bed slap and with two hands tearing up a 17-year-old boy because she figured he sashed her. It works. It takes a while, but it works. So this. Don't make a vow. Don't make resolutions. Live in such a way to where you know that as long as you are in this body of flesh, you're going to sin. Some small sins take one lick, some big sins take a scourging. But you're going to sin. And God, your Father, just showed that He's going to take care of it. I think of David when he sinned with Bathsheba. You know, Bathsheba had a child out of that that, that sinful uh, relationship they had. Now, apparently, David really loved that young one. That young one died. And it's quite obvious in Scripture that that young one died because he was conceived in sin. That happens. It does. How do I know that? Because it's in my Bible. It's happened before. And God said it happened. So it happens. All kind of stuff. That Bible has got examples of all kind of things that can happen to us. And sometimes it's hard. It's hard to deal with it. It's real easy to get to be a Christian. It doesn't cost you a nickel. You believe in the in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're saved. The hard part comes later. As attempting to live for Jesus the way God intends for you to. And it's not all a bed of roses. But we laid it out as to what we can look forward to.
and know that it's going to come to all of us. Because for us to say, I'm not being chastised, is for us to say, I'm not a child of God. That's what he said. So it happens to us all. And the best thing we can do is straighten up our path, straighten up those feeble knees that are shaking, and quit snubbing so that the person who is watching won't wind up more lame than he started out to be because he saw a Christian doing what God didn't want that Christian to do. We have a testimony whether we want it or not. God sees to it that we do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your lessons. Make us find a way, Lord, that through your grace that we might be obedient to you in everything we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.